Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and cattle. These things you carry are loaded as burdens on weary animals. They stoop, they bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. Isaiah tells Israel that they had turned from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they had given their hearts and their loyalties and their hopes to competing gods, Bel and Nebo. Bel is another name for the god Marduk. He was the powerful ruling deity of Babylon. Then there was Nebo. He was a god of literacy, arts. Many believed that he had created writing. So these two gods represent forms of physical and political power and intellectual power. The problem, though, is that the God of Israel had with great love formed them. The true God of Israel had given them life. But Israel, in turn, had taken their own hands and had formed and fashioned their own gods. This is the human story that gets replayed over and over and over again. We either worship the God who makes us, or we make gods to worship. We will worship some God. We were created to worship. We might think that our choice is between God or no God, but really the choice is about which God, what kind of God we will worship. It's uh, really interesting in my own story of, uh, of walking with people, how that many of us who step away from faith in the God who raised Jesus from the dead, we ultimately, in some way or another, give our energy, our faith, to some other God some other political frame, some philosophical idea, some ethical commitment. We have to find something that gives our life meaning and guidance. For some of us, it might be a career. It might be a cause. It might be a sense of personal identity. It might be our family. It might be the opinion of others. It might be our politics. It might be our self-reliance. It might be our marriage, our friendships. It might be our independence. It might be our accomplishments, our financial stability, our vision of ourselves, our vision of the future. Whatever it is, though, just like Israel, whatever gods we choose, whatever gods we make, they will inevitably fail us. 
Baal bows down, Isaiah says, and Nebo stoops low. That language of stoop low means to prostrate. It is the language of worship. The very gods who had been created to be worshipped were now in a posture themselves of worshipping. And apparently these uh, images for Baal, for Marduk, for Nebo, they were being carried away on carts as Israel was being taken into captivity by Cyrus in the kingdom of Persia their idols were also being carried away with them. But there's an interesting little play on words here. He says, the idols are on beasts and cattle. These things are being placed on carts and carried away with them. And as they're placed on carts, they're so heavy in stone, they burden down this cart. And you can imagine the oxen groaning under the weight. But then it changes. He says, these things you carry are loaded as burdens on weary animals. The people themselves become the weary animals. The people themselves are the ones who are burdened down. These false gods burden them. The ones who are meant to be used for their own purposes become burdens to them. These false gods actually bury them in the ground. When I was in my early 20s, one of the signals to me that the vision I had of God was, was severely flawed was how burdened down I felt by this vision of God. It wasn't in any way setting me free. It felt like it was shackling me. In my, own, in my own story, shame was precisely the thing that was being heaped on me day after day. I never felt like I could break free. I always felt like there was something deeply, deeply wrong with me, that there was something that I, I could never find freedom from. People around me would use shame as a tool to manipulate me. People around me would, and it oftentimes wasn't even something that was done overtly, it was overtly. There was this message that really God is someone that just makes us ashamed. I remember the day when I was in, uh, in my dorm room in college and I prayed to God and I said, God, I can't live like this. <laughs> if this is what being a Christian is, then I really don't wanna go to hell. I prefer not to do that. But if this is what it is, I, I don't think I can survive. Over the years, uh, this theme of shame has been something that comes up repeatedly. And you know, um, I thought that I had broken free from that world, but I'll be honest with you, I see shame used more and more all around me. I see it as a tool we use against one another. I see it as a way we dismiss another person's story. I see it as a way that we silence someone. Shame is a really, really powerful tool. And the truth is, if you can't seem to get someone to listen to you any other way, if you can't seem to get someone to do what you want any other way, sh shame works for lots of people, and at least for a while. 
and religion has used it too much. Social causes have used it too much. That's not the way God operates. God doesn't bury us. It's the same reason, too, why Dr. King would say that any religion that cares for the eternal souls of humanity, but not for the conditions that bury them, not for the conditions that shackle them, it's not a true religion. The true God of Israel, the true God of the world, this God is exactly the opposite. This God does not make us into beasts of burden. This God does not bury us. The God of Israel is the one who has borne us from the moment of our birth. Did you hear Isaiah's words? Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from your birth, who have been carried from the womb even to your old age. I am he, I am that God. Even when you turn gray, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. I have made and I will bear, I will carry, and will save. This word save is at the very heart of God's identity. It's at the very center of God's action in the world. If we want to describe what God does, we say, God saves. If you want to describe what we most need God to do for us, we use this word, salvation. We've often thought of salvation as a narrow term describing a narrow though essential aspect of our faith. We've thought of salvation as internal forgiveness of sins that allows us to have eternal life. And salvation is absolutely that. But it's way, way more. Salvation is a comprehensive word that describes everything God is doing in the world to overwhelm everything that is evil. Everything that God is doing in the world to recreate everything that evil and rebellion has let loose in our world. It's salvation from enemies. It's salvation from natural disasters. It's salvation from our rebellion against God, salvation from oppressive and unjust powers, salvation from systems of injustice, salvation from sickness, salvation from disease. Salvation in its broadest sense means to move out of narrow constriction into wide spaces. Salvation means to move from distress to safety. Salvation means that those who are ripped apart are made whole. Salvation means that those of us who have thousands of pounds weighing down on our backs or our chest can breathe free again. Salvation is the word 
that reflects in our rule of life what we mean when we say restoration. That God takes things that are undone and puts them back together. That God takes things that are broken and mends them. That God takes heavy burdens and lifts them. That God takes broken bodies and heals them. So this is a prime distinction between God the God of Israel, and Nebo. This is a prime distinction between every false god and the true God. False gods load us with burdens, but the true God brings us salvation. False gods wound. The true God heals. False gods bring shame. The true God heals shame. If anyone cries out to the false God, the false God ultimately is not able to answer, is not able to save. This is what Isaiah says. If one cries out to it, this false God that we've made with our own hands, it does not answer. It does not save anyone from trouble. But here's the temptation. We don't go to false gods. And it's, it's a language that we're probably going to have to really work hard to see in our own world because we have false gods everywhere, but we don't usually make actually pillars or idols out of them that we literally bow down to. Our false gods are these beliefs. They're these ideals. They're these hopes. They're powers, their economic realities, their systems of justice, their ways that we view our world and order our world. They're our politics. They're all of these things that we give our ultimate hope to. And we give our hope to them because they're alluring. They seem to promise some way of escape that we haven't found yet. And so we give ourselves to them. But in the day of trouble, whenever we call out, whenever we rely on this God, it will not be able to save us. It will not be able to rescue us. So the question we ask is, does our God, whatever it is we're trusting in, whoever we're giving our life to, does it bring us salvation? Does it bring us true restoration? Does it possibly heal us? If we turn over a few chapters in Isaiah 61, Isaiah tells us what it's going to be like, what this salvation is going to be like. And if we think of salvation as some small, tiny little thing, if we just sort of uh, point this to a heavenly reality thousands of years from now in some great distant planet, think about the words that Isaiah uses to describe this coming salvation. 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the year of Jubilee that Israel knew, where everyone would be set free, every burden released and the day of vengeance of our God. Do we like that part? (laughs) To comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion. You know what happens in Mark chapter four? Luke chapter four, sorry. It's when Jesus is in the synagogue He's given the task to read scripture and he steps up and he unrolls the scroll and he turns to Isaiah. He turns to the section of Isaiah that we know is chapter 61. It wasn't divided into chapters. And he reads this bit. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant of the synagogue. And Jesus sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then Jesus began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In me, Jesus says, comes this salvation. In me comes this rescue. In me comes this hope. So lots of things are colliding for us as a community. Going back six months, a number of us had this deep sense that we needed our hearts to simply return to God. In the same way that Israel over and over again had to forsake all the competing gods and return in simplicity to the true God who loved them and could heal them, that we too needed this kind of return. Coming in, into that, praying through that, coming out of that, it sensed that there were some specific places where we as a, as a community needed to return to God and find something healed and restored in us. We're also in that season where we're preparing for our rule of life. Christ our King Sunday, the Sunday right before Advent, when our new church year begins, we will affirm together we'll return together to this central story of our community, which is God's action on our behalf, God's invitation to a kind of life that we want to take on together, and then our prayerful hope to pursue this life together. At the center of all this, I I think, is this, this sense that God wants to restore some things in us. And in many ways, it's restoring some very simple things. 
I think for some of us, God wants to restore our simple faith and trust in the God who raised Jesus from the dead. That this same God is able to work in our lives and in our world in ways that we long for God to do, but we may have abandoned the hope that God can do it. I think some of us need to be restored and healed of some pain that we've received from the church. I, I sense in our community there's a need to return to the simplicity of how God is active and present in his people. And we need to learn to trust and hope in that again. We need to be restored to God's active presence through the Holy Spirit in his people. That we're not here just taking up space singing religious songs, reading holy texts, and sort of then moving back into our life. But this very moment of worship is centering us on the God who raised Jesus from the dead and who, unlike Baal and Nebo, saves people, rescues us, renews us, and restores us. And not just ourselves, not our own life, but our community, our nation. Does anyone doubt that we don't need to be rescued? Does anyone doubt that we don't need desperately salvation? It's not just personal, it's not just corporate, it's all of us, our own hearts and stories, our shame, our own issues within our life that we're running from or that we're abandoning. It's the things that we are hope for. It's, it's our government, it's our hope, it's our history, it's all of it, it's all of us. We need God's salvation, and God is the God who saves. And every other idol and ideology and promise be damned, it cannot save. It will not save. But the God who raised Jesus from the dead, that God saves. And as far as I know, for our church, we, I mean, <laughs> we're a simple little band of people. But we serve a God who saves. In Charlottesville, that's fine, yeah, okay. <laughs> I know my own heart, and I desperately need salvation. I know a number of your stories, and I know you need salvation. I know our city needs salvation. I know our nation needs salvation. Our marriages need salvation. Our friendships, our relationship with our children, we need salvation. And God is the God who saves. Will you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.